Okay, hello and welcome to another Kairos Conversation. I am here today with Dr. Stephen Peach. Stephen, good to have you with us today. Stephen is a fellow pastor of the Lutheran Church of Australia and currently a lecturer in pastoral theology at Australian Lutheran College. He has written a book called Of Good Comfort, Martin Luther's Letters to the Depressed and Their Significance for Pastoral Care Today. So he's got this particular interest in depression and particularly on Luther's pastoral counsel to depress people. So that's what we've got Stephen on to talk about today. Stephen, very good to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. What was it, Stephen, that first got you interested in this whole area of Christians and depression? Well, I suppose the, the starting point was the fact that um, when I came to ALC, Australian Lutheran College, back in 2008, I started teaching my courses in pastoral theology and counselling, and I found that um, we had a small handful of students who seemed to be suffering with depression. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so um, because of my own experience with depression when I was a young guy, okay. I think I empathised with them and ended up speaking with them quite a bit about this. And what, one of the things that um, emerged as we were having these conversations, I suppose counselling and pastoral care, um, was that I, I picked up a book that somebody had recommended to me. Um, and um, it was a book, a uh, famous book, by, um, edited by Theodore Tappet called mm -hmm. Luther's Letters of Spiritual Counsel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started reading in there, um, and it became obvious fairly soon that there was a number of letters in there that were, um, that were addressed to people who were suffering with what we would call depression. Mm. Luther calls it melancholy or melancholia. Right. Um, and, um, and so just thinking that that might help these students, mm. I said, have you had a look at these letters by Luther? They're quite interesting. Um, anyway, the, the net result was that they, they came back to me and um, they said to me, you know what, these letters, they actually, they actually spoke to me more and helped me more than any any other help I've had for my depression. Wow. wow. So um, I quickly realised that there was something going on here, hmm. and um, so um, that was um, that was actually how the whole thing came up, hmm. and it then became the major focus of my doctoral research mm -hmm. over the mm -hmm. next three to four years, mm -hmm. and uh, during that time. Um, I went looking for all of the other letters that yeah. Luther had written to depressed people and some of them had to be translated uh, and, um, uh, and then I analysed those yeah. um, both from a historical and from a contemporary pastoral care point of view hmm. um, and that was where it started. So there's a couple of things I think that uh, come out of that that I'd like to ask about. Um, you mentioned that these particular letters seem to help these guys in a way that other stuff hadn't. Mm. Um, do you think there is sometimes um, a bit of a, a bit of reluctance to talk openly about depression in Christian circles? I guess this is something that mm. I've I've noticed from time to time. Um, and if so, <coughs> why do you think that is? Mm. I think that uh, that one of the one of the things that we have in the church is um, what one author I've read uh, has 
really put his finger on well. He calls it false religious optimism. Okay. Uh, and he says that um, uh, people have this notion or this idea that if you're a Christian, that that means that you should be um, happy all the time, mm. put mm. it bluntly. Yeah. So if you're a Christian, um, uh, you should, you know, the idea is that if, if, you, if you've got Christ in your life, and that, that should make you on top of the world all the time. Mm. And so um, that shows that perhaps if you're not on top of the world, if you're, in fact, feeling down in the dumps, mm. maybe you're, there's something wrong with your faith or maybe you don't have faith yeah. um, and you don't trust in, in God and you don't find joy in God. And so yeah. um, I think there's, there's that idea there that um, I'm not going to show you that I've got depression because, uh, or, or let anyone know about it in the church because if I do that, then people will judge me. Yep. Um, and in fact, there's a whole website out there entitled Stupid Things People Say <laughs> in Churches to Depressed People. Yeah, right. And, um, uh, you know, sorts of things like, you know, just trust and pray and mm. everything will come right and, you know, all sorts of shallow, unhelpful things. Mm. And I think... Um, this is one reason that people tend to keep their mouths shut. Yeah. Or they, um, and, uh, and I think the other thing that it, about it is that we're always afraid of what we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so if I know that someone in the church has got depression, I might be tempted to just step back from them a bit because I'm not confident that I'm going to say something that will help. I might be afraid yeah. that I'm going to say something that will make it worse. Yeah. Or that I'll be one of those stupid people saying stupid things to people mm. that doesn't help. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's that's one of the main reasons. Yeah, and and then I've I've observed that on on the other side of this is the reality that um, as your um, book has been released to the church and as I've talked about this sort of topic with with other people, um, it just sort of seems to um, open up more and more. The possibility for people to talk about this, mm. and all of a sudden you, you find out just how common you know it is for Christians mm. To, mm. to suffer with these sorts of things, and so yeah. um, and so it's a, it's a real gift to the church to have this opportunity and this and this means by which to open up this discussion a bit more. I think. Yeah. Um, the other yeah. thing you mentioned that stood out to me before about about these these young guys saying, "Here's these these letters from Martin Luther of all people that seem to to speak to them in a way that other things hadn't helped." Mm. Um, I guess this is something a bit surprising for some people, you know. Why, why should we be thinking about a guy from 500 years ago and how he can help something like depression? Most people think of probably think of depression more as a, you know, a modern phenomenon perhaps and, mm -hmm. and maybe you know, guys like Luther are sort of stuck in some weird medieval worldview that can't speak meaningfully to these things. So why Luther? The amazing thing about Luther is that he has um, a timeless insight mm. into the human soul. Mm -hmm. uh, one uh, scholar I, I really like, one Luther scholar I really like is James Nestingen. Mm -hmm. And he says that Luther has, has safe crackers fingers for the human heart. <laughs> so Luther was an experienced confessor, counsellor, pastor in his own Augustinian order and also a a highly experienced preacher and um, pastoral carer for people 
in his community. Mm. And uh, this is one thing we often don't understand about Luther is that he's primarily a pastor yep. and a very skilled one. Yep. Um, and he knows how to use language really well. And so the interesting thing is that he can make contact with people of any age um, because he understands human beings mm. of any age. Mm. And I think mm. that's, that's one of the, the special things about the gifts God gave him. Um, but I also think that um, depression actually um, is a, uh, an experience and a, um, a journey um, which has a lot of commonalities about it throughout the ages yeah, too. Sure. And so you put those two things together, there's a kind of a deep right. connection that happens. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a beautiful segue into what I had in mind to ask next, which is that you mentioned before this um, melancholy tradition, you know, in the Christian mm. church and, mm -hmm. and trying to think about, you know, is this what we call depression in modern mm. terms? I'm interested in that whole thing. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I think um, probably a good place to start is to point out that um, melancholy or, or depression has been around for, well, since human beings have been around. Mm -hmm. um, the first record we have on it, have of it is um, from the Elbers Papyrus from ancient Egypt. <laughs> and uh, the symptoms that are described there are like symptoms out of, a, out, of a, uh, you know, out of a questionnaire that you get from your GP. Wow. So uh, it's interesting, there's this common thread that runs right through. But spiritually, um, uh, it's interesting, spirituality, our spiritual life, and our mental health occupy the same territory a lot of mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that over the centuries, what's happened is that people have realised this and recognised it, and they've said, right, um, this is not just a, uh, a problem with people's thinking or with their habits or something like that. This is actually a deeply spiritual thing. And so people have addressed it that way over mm. many years. In the early church and the, and the, um, in the uh, third and fourth centuries, for example, the church fathers of the East actually developed quite sophisticated psychological techniques to mm. deal with people with melancholy and, and depression mm. um, and strategies basically their own kind of psychotherapy that was sort of spiritual, uh, Christian psychotherapy. Uh, and then later on uh, in, the, in the medieval ages, uh, you have um, uh, great teachers there too who, who uh, quickly learn um, uh, from previous generations yep. how to bring comfort to people who are, who are melancholy, uh, who are depressed, deeply spiritually troubled. And then, of course, in the Reformation, you have Luther and his mm. whole journey with it and, and um, uh, what he writes about that in his letters and, and other places as yeah. well. And that really sets Luther in that, that bigger picture that as bigger, well. That yeah. bigger tradition. Yeah. Mm. And so there's that lead up to Luther then. And so can you help us connect the dots perhaps a bit more between then Luther um, the melancholic tradition that he inherited and where we've ended up to today with talk of clinical depression, those mm, sorts of things. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> after Luther, of course, you have, um, the, well, you have the 16th century, which social psychiatrists have called the, the great age of melancholy because you okay. had the Renaissance 
and the Renaissance was this period in history in Europe where everything was changing and shaking. So uh, the social structures, the church, you had mm -hmm. the Reformation, you had um, the um, beginning of the gradual breaking down of the feudal system that had been around and stable for a whole thousand mm. years almost. Mm. And so people began to uh, respond to that by becoming um, troubled, fearful, and that sort of set off a whole kind of age of melancholy. And so people were very... Um, there were a lot of cases of depression mm -hmm. and there were a lot of suicides in this period. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. So we see the same thing happening today. Right, I was going to say, yeah. Um, we've got a new age of melancholy today mm -hmm. because, of course, one of the things that's shaken our foundations in the modern West is technology and mm -hmm. the internet, mm -hmm. that's, and there are other things too, mm. globalisation. So everything that's been stable and um, has given kind of constant values to our yep. relationships and our way of dealing with the world is moving underneath us yeah. and destabilising us. And this is one of the reasons I think that we have mental illness and particularly depression happening today. So I think that's, that's one sort of connection that's really interesting, and, I, and I've heard this both from um, social scientists type secular folks as well as um, as Christian people who you know look at trends in history and society, mm. analysing these sorts of things, and and um, seeing these observations, you know, that perhaps we're living through some some sort of shift um, that hasn't been since, seen since the time of the Reformation, mm. and, and uh, but I hadn't thought about that particularly, you know, in relation mm. to this issue, and and. Um, and perhaps another reason why this is such a significant um, topic to be talking about in our day. Yeah. Uh, so in that, that discussion of melancholy and this, this whole area, another word that comes up in your, your book quite a bit is unfectung. Unfectung, yeah. I think that's about right, something like that. Yeah. Um, so perhaps you can um, we'll pick up on that <coughs> term and where that fits in and sort of how it relates to melancholy, depression, faith and... Mm. Um, and I, and I guess in my mind, the concept of despair is sort of sitting in there somewhere as well. Yeah. It's interesting that um, Luther, I don't think he quite invented this word Anfechtung, um, but he certainly, uh, he certainly uh, takes it and lifts it up and right. makes it his own mm. thing. And a lot of people have perhaps um, a wrongly kind of um, oversimplified this idea of Anfechtung, thinking that when Luther talks about Anfechtung, he's talking about his depression and nothing else. Mm -hmm. But actually it's a word he uses about lots of different struggles and troubles in life. The word Anfechtung actually comes from the, Lat the uh, German word Fechten, which means to sword fight. Okay. So uh, if, you're un if you have Anfechtung and you are being fought, mm -hmm. you are being mm -hmm. attacked mm -hmm. with a sharp blade, mm -hmm. And what Luther has very much in mind in this is that you are being attacked demonically. Right. You're being attacked by the evil one. Mm -hmm. And so he actually sees um, he actually sees depression as one of those areas of your life where the devil tries to get at you. Mm. Uh, um, and he says, right, you know, the devil looks at you. He says, okay, I'm going to ride around the boundary fence of your life until I find a hole, <laughs> and then I'm going to get in there. Um, and that's actually one of the images Luther uses in his letters to mm. explain it to somebody mm. too. So um, Anfechtung is, um, Luther uses it to describe despair, um, the sense of being 
deeply disturbed, spiritually troubled, usually um, troubled over your own salvation. Yep. Do I have faith? Am I really a Christian? Yeah. Um, or um, am I really forgiven for my sins? Am I am mm-hmm. I really God's child in Christ? Mm-hmm. Or another another big question that comes up is, um, you know, what am I going? How am I going to cope with uh, the challenges I find in life as a Christian? You know, yeah. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall. Yeah. So um, that's what Luther means by it. And it's an interesting word because it's this powerful sound to it. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean... It's fun to say. It's yeah, fun yeah. to say, yeah. <laughs> Unfectum, yeah. Yeah, and so this is just fascinating, this, this whole area. It's also perhaps one of those reasons why some people could um, be even a bit suspicious of somebody from his time talking about these issues because they think, oh, okay, does, is, does Luther see, the, see a demon behind every bad mood mm, and this sort of stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and so on the one hand, it's, it's really helpful for me to think about the spiritual element mm, and as, mm-hmm. a, as a Christian to think about the work of the demonic and how it interrelates mm. with, with our mental health. On the other hand, as I um, read your book and Luther's letters, what I was struck by is that on the one hand, Luther will say things about the devil and all this sort of thing, and then he'll also say things like, you should get outside and go for a walk, or mm-hmm. make sure you're around people. And it's just so practical yeah. as well, yeah. and, and, and ahead of his time in so many ways, it seems mm. to me. So maybe um, we can begin to talk a bit more mm. then about uh, how would you characterise Luther's basic uh, pastoral approach to people um, who are suffering from melancholy or depression. Mm, yeah. Just to comment a little bit more and segue into that, as I answer that question perhaps, that um, it's interesting, Luther's perspective about being attacked by the devil is the one that he has in, in the small catechism, where he mm-hmm. basically says uh, everywhere, you have it, fingerprints of it everywhere, mm. where he says the devil is after all Christians all the time. Mm. And so this is nothing new or mm-hmm. interesting or even very exciting. Mm-hmm. You, you just need to learn actually how he's attacking you at this time mm-hmm. so that you can bat him away. Yeah. So I suppose that's always there in the background. He's always saying, ignore the devil, <laughs> tell him to nick off. Mm-hmm. Um, or, he actually, or stronger words. Yeah, or <laughs> st- stronger words yeah. uh, than that. Luther uh, had a had a had pretty good grasp of toilet humour. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he, um, he gives that kind of practical advice. But yeah, you mentioned before this whole idea of um, uh, focusing outwards. Mm-hmm. Depression thrives and um, religious, spiritual depression, particularly the religious aspects of it thrive when we go inside. Right. Uh, and, and, and inside us, if we're feeling negative in there, Right, uh, we're just negative with ourselves. Our mm-hmm. thoughts, our feelings just swirl around inside mm-hmm. negatively. We accuse ourselves and, um, and Luther says, no, don't do that. Go outside, lift up your eyes and look out. Hmm. Talk to another person, get yeah. some input from outside you um, because that's objective, yeah. that's reality and the reality that you think you've created in here is actually false. Yes. Uh, makes me think of Jesus too, you know, feeling anxious, do a bit of bird watching, yes, you know, yes. look at the flowers, this sort of thing. And, that's right, yeah. that's right. And um, focus on uh, beauty. And in fact, Luther says one of the reasons that God placed us in a garden when he created us mm-hmm. was that beauty is one of the things that is one of the um, 
is one of the, the contexts where we thrive and, and mm. we're created for that place, mm. uh, for that place of beauty of seeing the, of seeing the created world and nature. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and there are many other things too. Music, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we'll, we'll get an opportunity to look perhaps at one, one or two letters in detail, but just in the big picture, um, what sort of big themes come up in his, in his pastoral <coughs> council to these mm. people? Well, the interesting thing um, is um, justification by grace. I mean, that's Luther's mm. big thing, right? Mm. So we think, okay, well, what's that all got to do with depression? Yeah, you could think he's fighting those big theological battles, yeah. but then when it comes to his pastoral practice, yeah. maybe shifts gears, different, different categories, but, right. but not so much. Yeah. yeah, the interesting thing is, that, well, those big theological battles are important mm. precisely because they come down to yeah. what's going on in your life and my life. Right. Right. So, um, so the whole question, for instance, of the conscience, mm -hmm. and he talks about how um, when people are depressed, particularly when Christians are depressed, one of the symptoms that comes out for them is that they get this guilt, which is misplaced false mm -hmm. guilt that they put onto themselves mm -hmm. um, because they are trying to find some means of justifying themselves and giving themselves value yes. rather than relying on the value that they get in Christ, through Christ, yep. through his forgiveness and through being justified by him. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that um, justification has this deep psychological or mental um, uh, aspect to it yes. where if you are not justified by Christ, you will always find some way to justify yourself. Sure. And I think that um, when we, when we um, are um, struggling with this uh, in, in depression, um, Luther understands that actually it's the soul searching for justification. Mm. And then Christ has this for us. He has mm. this gift. And so one of the things that's important to try to do with people is listen and hear that cry of their conscience and their yeah. heart yeah. and to speak Christ's um, grace, forgiveness and justification to them in their yes. situation. It's interesting that um, uh, a number of uh, thinkers um, in the early modern era um, quickly said and noticed that, that you have, um, uh, in the medieval period and in the early modern period, Luther's time, you have confession and absolution as the way in which the individual... Um, found some means of catharsis, yes. some yeah. means of bearing their soul and finding healing. Yeah. Um, but as we've lost this more and more in the church, people don't deal with their own conscience yeah. in the same way. And uh, uh, I think it was Carl Menninger, the great uh, Christian psychologist, who said that um, actually what's happened is that the conscience has gone underground hmm. and we don't deal with it before God anymore, we mm -hmm. deal with it inside ourselves. Right. right. So I think I'd love to look at one of these letters now. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you were to go to, to one of Luther's letters that gives us a bit of an illustrative example, is there something that we could look at? Yeah, I'm looking at, um, I thought I would look, um, read some sections out mm. from a letter that Luther wrote actually uh, in 1544. Mm -hmm. which is two years before his death, so he's an old man himself. And he's writing to an old friend, um, 
the friend's name is George Spalatin, and Spalatin was the one of the um, people in the court of Frederick the Wise in Wittenberg who mm -hmm. kind of brokered the relationship between Luther and Frederick and really was a key yes. figure in the Reformation getting going. Um, and without Spalatin, there wouldn't have been a Reformation. Um, and in 1525, when Frederick died, uh, Spalatin um, was sent off to um, a neighbouring city, Altenburg, where he became the canon, one of the canons in the cathedral there. Mm -hmm. And he, um, uh, he became the superintendent of the churches in that area. Yep. The problem was that Spalatin wasn't a highly trained theologian or pastor. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a problem in the early Reformation. He had a lot of pastors out there who didn't know too much about it. Yeah. Uh, and he made some mistakes. One of the mistakes he made was that he actually gave wrong advice to somebody about um, whether they could marry their brother's widow, I think it was. Right. Um, now, the marriage laws in different parts of Germany at that time were very specific yep. in order to protect the population from the wrong kind of um, relationships yes. and so on. And um, anyway, so Luther had to step in mm -hmm. and and say to um, poor old George's mate, uh, <laughs> you've got this wrong, And um, but listen, you're not the first person to get something wrong. Mm -hmm. What happened with Spalatin was he was a very proud guy mm -hmm. and he made this big public mistake and he nosedived into a terrible depression. Hmm. And... Um, uh, and he's on, the, he's on the front page of the paper, and that's he's like, on the front yeah. page of the yeah. paper. Mm -hmm. He's a guy who's got it badly wrong. Yeah. So yeah. he's publicly humiliated, hmm. and um, and uh, he was blaming himself. And I thought I might re read out this section um, where Luther is talking to him about this, and he says, um, "As I inquire what kind of malady you are suffering from, I'm told that some think you are plagued." by a depressed spirit because of the unfortunate case of the pastor who has married his stepmother, his stepmother <laughs> of his deceased wife. If this is so, I beg you, through Christ our Lord and with all of the prayers I can possibly pray, do not get above yourself in dwelling on your own thoughts and feelings, but rather listen to your brother in Christ who is speaking to you. Otherwise, your melancholy will destroy you. That melancholy which Paul says works death, just as I myself have experienced, and as Master Philip did too at Weimar in 1540. As a result of the issue of the Landgrave, depression had all but killed him, but Christ brought him back to life through my words to him. Now, he says to this guy, let's suppose that you are guilty and having sinned in this particular case. Uh, or that you have committed more or even greater sins, even than Manasseh, the great king of Israel, whose offences could not be eradicated from the generations that followed him right down to the time of Jerusalem's destruction. But in fact, your sin is easily remedied and truly only of a temporal nature. So I say again, let us suppose that you are actually to blame. Surely you will not let depression destroy you so that by killing you, yourself, you commit an even greater sin. Hmm. Um, so Luther, you can see what Luther's mm. doing here. He's saying, okay, let's just say you have got this badly wrong, and okay, you've made a mistake. Mm. 
Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, um, you know, whoop-de-doo. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually um, not as big a deal as you think it is. Luther is saying to Spalatin, look, um, uh, you know, maybe you think you're not a sinner, but you actually are. And he says to him, therefore I beg you, come and join us truly great hard-boiled sinners so that you do not diminish Christ for us, who is not a saviour for imaginary or, imaginary or trivial sins, but rather for real sins. Not only small ones, but great ones. Yes, even the worst, in fact, for all sins committed by all people. Hmm. So there is the gospel mm. absolutely laid out there mm. for Spalatin, mm. who has become his own accuser and his own his own judge and executioner. Mm, mm. Um, in this way, Luther writes, Staupitz used to comfort me hmm. in my melancholic period, saying, you wish to be a painted sinner and to have a painted Christ as your saviour. You must get used to the fact that Christ is a real saviour and that you are a real sinner. God does not play games or indulge in make-believe. It was no joke that he sent us his son and gave him up for us. But it seems that Satan has snatched these and similar truths from your memory so that you cannot now recall them even for your own sake. So what often happens to Christians, of course, mm. it's like the gospel gets kind of taken away from them. Yes. And that's why they need to hear it. Um, I'll just go on for this last little mm. section. Mm. Open your ears and listen to your brother as I sing to you your brother who stands outside of your depression and is strong. Yes, he stands there so that you who are weak and are harassed by Satan may rest on him and be cheered and strengthened so that you can stick it to the devil and <laughs> sing, I was struck down and overthrown so that I might fall, but the Lord supported me. Imagine that I am St. Peter stretching out his hand saying to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. That's a scene from the Temple mm. in Acts. That's great stuff. Yeah. So um, you can see here Luther's wonderful grasp of rhetoric, mm -hmm. how he brings the, like this biblical scene from the book of Acts mm -hmm. where, who is it, Peter and John? Um, yeah, I reckon. Yeah. They're in the temple and the, the man comes to them and, and uh, gold and silver have I none, they say, mm -hmm. you know. But then uh, they, speak, they speak the word to this guy and he gets up and walks. Mm. So you have this healing scene and he paints this out and he says, imagine, picture this, mm. so that the word then becomes in, you know, visualised in mm. this person's experience. Mm. So that's just a really great example, I think, of Luther's wonderful letter writing. That's fantastic. The sad story behind this letter, of course, is that um, by the time Luther tries to intervene with Spalatin, Spalatin has really closed himself off right. and he actually dies uh, right. later on that right. year of, of um, basically the terminal decline of his health. Wow. He stopped eating, mm. stopped talking mm -hmm. and just went backwards as some people did in this era. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned as we looked at this particular example was Luther's uh, use of rhetoric and um, the way in which he writes. And I've got to say, um, as good as this um, book is, uh, your writing, your analysis, um, 
an equally great treasure in this book is simply that all of these letters of Luther are just printed in the back mm. and, um, and they're just great. And I found myself reading through the first time, reading um, what she wrote and, and finding it very helpful. Um, but then going and reading the letters again and again and, and just the whole mm. thing really coming alive in, in a new way. It, it made me particularly interested as a young pastor as well, just in this whole tradition of, of letter writing, mm. um, particularly for pastoral counsel to people. Mm -hmm. And whether, um, just interested in that, that tradition in general, but also whether, whether there is something particularly helpful for people who are suffering with these sorts of things about a written word? Mm. I'm not sure, it's, it's just a, it's a genuine question. And also, I guess, as a part of that, um, perhaps you could reflect on has, um, how has this study for you actually um, influenced your own pastoral care, if it has? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You mentioned that you found yourself reading the letters again and again. Mm. That's because that's actually what these letters by Luther are designed for. Mm. Um, in Luther's time, the letter was an art form. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there were great big journals written, uh, great big sort of uh, manuals rather written, um, some of them by the great scholar Erasmus actually, yeah. about appropriate letter writing techniques. Yep. So uh, the right words to use, the right way of addressing people, mm -hmm. the way in the way that you should um, establish a kind of uh, um, an atmosphere of intimacy if you're writing a letter to somebody mm -hmm. or the, a way that you should um, observe proper distance in a letter sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, letter writing is a real fine art and Luther mm. has mastered this art mm. um, because he's written written many, many letters in, in the edition of Luther's works in German and Latin, the Weimar edition. Um, there are something like seven or eight volumes, fat volumes of his wow. letters. Wow. So Luther is a great letter writer. Mm. This is one of his main tools and he did a lot of pastoral care by letter. No email, yep. of course, no yep. telephone, no texting. Um, so the letter was a tool of diplomacy, um, negotiation, friendship, yes. pastoral care. Yep. Um, and um, one of the things that um, I guess I've learned from this study is that we use the pastoral letter, we don't use that enough. Right, right. Um, and um, it's the very same thing. Uh, recently I, uh, I saw a man um, from a parish that I served. Mm. After I left that parish, his wife died mm -hmm. and I wrote him a pastoral letter. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was anything very marvellous I said in the letter. But uh, I saw him a few years later. He had this letter folded up in the back of his Bible. Yeah, wow. And it was dog-eared from being mm -hmm. read and re-read mm -hmm. mm -hmm. because he had found something in there that was um, of great comfort to him. Yeah. And I think people um, read and re-read letters because they find comfort there. They feed on what's there. Yeah. Um, and um, if you think of a, you know, the... Um, a lot of people, I think, uh, in past eras wrote love letters to mm. each other mm. and they keep those letters mm. and they treasure them because mm. they're actually a living part of a mm. relationship mm. through which something really important happened then yeah. and still happens now when you read the yeah. letters. Yeah, you meditate on them and let yeah. them speak to you and all that sort of thing. So yeah. one of the reasons we have so many of Luther's pastoral letters is because they were copied 
and hand it on to other people yeah. um, because they were so comforting to other people. And that's the story of, of my students back in 2008 yes. too. Yes. They got a letter from Luther. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I've noticed that's come up a couple of times we talked about Luther's letters is this use of scripture. This connects with uh, having the letters that you can read and reread and meditate on. Luther's encouraging people to meditate on scripture. Mm. But I'm also um, struck by the creative way in which Luther uses scripture. So um, mm. you're aware, of course, that there's this criticism sometimes um, of some forms of pastoral care that can perhaps use scripture in a bit of a mechanical way, mm, I guess. Mm. Get this verse, apply it here, everything's fixed. That's a caricature, of course, but but, uh, but people have this concern sometimes. Mm. Um, and so I'm wondering whether you could just comment a bit on Luther's mm. use of scripture in his pastoral care mm -hmm. to people who are mm. depressed. It's a really good question. The, uh, the um, Remember me saying earlier on, as we were talking, that Luther knew the geography of the human heart. Mm. Well, he also knew the geography of the Word of God, yeah. Scripture, and he knew how to make those two sets of geography come together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, Luther's ability to address the Word of God to people's struggles mm -hmm. has to do with the fact that he, he understands the struggle, but he also knows Scripture so well and so intimately mm. that he has... The whole thing at his fingertips, yeah, and he's able to, he's able to bring out the right word for the right occasion. He doesn't have to look it up on his app. No, he yeah. doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. Luther, uh, we forget how well Luther knew scripture. Like, yeah, yeah. as a monk, he chanted the Psalms for ten years. Yeah. He knew the Psalter, yeah, like he knew the back of his own hand. Yeah, he and in fact, he he knew the whole Latin Vulgate so well that he hardly needed to. Mm. Look at the written page at all. Incredible. So Luther um, is a real master of scripture in the sense mm. that it's mastered him. Mm -hmm. He he has deeply and intimately um, gotten to know not just the great passages we all know from the New Testament, mm -hmm. but the whole Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and um, so he knows scripture so well. He knows people so well, mm -hmm. and that's why he's able to do such a good job of that. Mm. Um, if you notice that in his letters, he often, uh, someplace in, in his letters of comfort to people with depression, he'll often s sort of give a string of biblical verses. Yep. And when you first read the letter, you think, oh, Luther, you're just piling up yep. proof texts yep. here, you know? Yep. Yep. But then when you read it, you find out that he's done something completely different. What he's done is he's assembled a, like a little bouquet Mm -hmm. of these biblical verses mm -hmm. which are all a commentary on each other mm -hmm. and when you interpret them together what they do is they bring this incredible 3D message of comfort and mm. peace to the person's situation um, and uh, so he's able to do this uh, so expertly yeah. uh, well he's a very talented gifted guy but he's also has the heart of a pastor yeah as well as the mind of a biblical scholar. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I often say to uh, our students at ALC, um, if you want to be a good preacher, read scripture. Mm. If you want to be a good counsellor, read scripture. Yeah. If you want to be uh, a good, um, you know, a good uh, ethicist or theologian, read scripture. Yeah. That's where everything begins and ends yeah. for us. Yeah, that's yeah. great. 
Um, and so, Stephen, as we begin to draw to a close, I, I wonder what, what's the most important thing that you've learned from Luther in terms of um, partially counselling people who are suffering mm. with these sorts of things? And, and so what would you say to someone out there today who, um, who is suffering from some form of depression? In the hands of a loving God, even something like depression can be part of a spiritual journey which brings you deeper. Hmm. Um, uh, in other words, brings you under the cross. Hmm. The cross is the thing that if you want to grow in life, in your Christian life, if you want to grow as a Christian, um, uh, God's going to lead you to the cross. Hmm. More than once, probably. Yeah. And um, the experience of depression is a real experience of powerlessness and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's a real experience of the cross. And I think that um, very often, um, as I look back on my own experience as a young man of, of depression and uh, all of the, the um, heartache that came at that time, it was through that that I think um, God um, shaped me and called me to be mm -hmm. a pastor, mm -hmm. and enabled me to do some of the stuff I'm doing now. Yeah, right. um, and um, I often reflect on the way depression uh, comes along very often for students mm -hmm. in theology because uh, uh, when you start to study theology, as you know, God takes your theology apart and remakes it the way yeah. he wants it. Yeah, that's it. And it can be painful when he does that, but mm. it's actually part of his deep, shaping and moulding and maturing of your mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. and so you know one of the things I would say to a person in depression is uh, Christ is shaping you he is with you and he hasn't left you and he'll bring you through it and just wait with him and trust with him in mm -hmm. that under the cross with Christ mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah uh, we um we often think, and people with depression often think, that they're alone. Yeah. And they'll often say, God's left me, he's abandoned me, he's not yeah. interested. But actually, uh, he's more interested than ever. Yeah. Um, well, it's been great to have you with us today, Stephen, here on Kairos. Really enjoyed the discussion. Um, this is Dr. Peach's book of Good Comfort, Martin Luther's Letters to the Depressed and Their Significance for Pastoral Care Today. I assume you can find this online in the normal haunts. Um, Stephen, thanks again. God, God bless, bless you. Thanks.